before Lord's Day. Worship has always been important to God, and God has always told mankind what He expects. We know that every first day of the week that God has commanded us to pray, to sing, to partake in giving, preach the Word, and to remember the Lord's death with the Lord's Supper. And I'm so thankful that this group here considers it to of the utmost importance to keep God's commands and to follow all that we read in the Bible. We're going to see that this is very, very important to God this morning. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but, but Jacob on his vacation has actually been asked to uh, preach in North Georgia this morning as well. Uh, so we wish them well. We are, are grateful he gets the opportunity to, to sow the seed um, even when he's visiting a congregation. And we're so thankful for, for them and their family. Uh, we pray for Grant's upcoming travel. I also will be in Atlanta leaving tomorrow morning and hopefully being back by Wednesday evening. About a year ago, we had a lesson together on the harvest being white. And this, I, I started thinking more about this lesson um, with Brother Bill Hall. Uh, there was a moment where he mentioned, and I appreciate Brother Grant bringing to remembrance some things of Brother Hall in our gospel meeting, but he mentioned that he thought about how many times that he didn't speak to someone about the message of God, the gospel. And I thought a lot about this lesson that we went through almost a year ago, and I thought it would be good for us to spend some time looking what led to God talking to his disciples about lifting your head and recognizing that the harvest is white. We went through, and this was the conclusion of that study. The fields are ready. Avoid unfruitfulness. All are involved. Don't judge the soil. The conversion rate doesn't matter. The message will be strange to the world. Be bold. My hope this morning is that as we pull back from this passage and see the context of what Jesus has this teaching moment with his disciples, that that lesson will ring more true to us and it will be something that we consider. Are we taking the opportunities that are before us? Are we lifting our heads up and do we see that the harvest is white. So we're going to look at this morning the lessons from the Samaritan woman, starting in John chapter 4 and verse 3, and we're going to work our way through this passage and ultimately end up around verse 26. There are many things we can learn. So let's start first in John chapter 3. I'm sorry, John chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. We read, He left Judea, that is Jesus, 
and departed again to Galilee. But he needed, but he needed to go through Samaria. That's interesting. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? The Greek word here for needed to go means that there was necessity brought on by circumstances. But the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along. In fact, this would not have been the route most Jews would have taken to go from Judea north to Galilee. They would much rather prefer to go around Samaria. So who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans are often referred to as half-Jews, or I've often heard mixed race. They come from the northern kingdom uh, uh, when it falls uh, to the Assyrians. Now in the Old Testament, we know that God demanded His people not to intermarry with other nations. Well, the Samaritans come from marrying under that captivity, those that remain, and that's why they get that name uh, mixed race. In many ways, we could look at them as a nation of lukewarmness. They had one foot in, as we're going to look at some details, as being a Jew, and one foot in uh, being a Gentile. Josephus actually characterizes the Samaritans as idolaters and hypocrites. It has been said that there is a Jewish saying, may I never set eyes on a Samaritan. Kind of makes Jesus's the good Samaritan uh, story ring a little more true on why Jesus was using a Samaritan to articulate his point. Several centuries before the birth of Christ, the Samaritans built their own temple in Mount Gerizim to rival the one in Jerusalem. Here they offered sacrifices according to the Mosaic regulations. During the first century, the Samaritans accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They observed certain Jewish feasts. They maintained pagan worship. And they were looking for the coming Messiah. This shows us a very important lesson. The Samaritans were spiritually minded individuals. But they were lost. And Jesus is going to deal with this shortly. Let's go to the Next couple passages, John 4, 5, and 6. Here we read, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Shekar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth Hour. Not only is this not the typical route 
that a Jew would take. Samaria was nearly 3,000 feet in elevation climb and about 40 miles from Jerusalem. Now, they were in Judea. Jesus had already left in John 3, Jerusalem, but it was still a good distance and a good vertical climb. Weary here in verse 5 literally means exhausted. I think it's important that we do not lose sight that Jesus, who is 100% God, and 100% man, we, are, we use the term wearied, exhausted. Do we ever see that word used in the creation week? When all of our universe is established. We don't. But this shows us that Jesus, who came to this earth as a man, felt some of the same things we feel. Do we feel weary at times? Yes. In Matthew 4 and 2, we see that Jesus was hungry. In John 19 and 28, we see that he thirsted. In John 4 and 6, right here, we see that he is tired, wearied, exhausted. In John 11 and 35, we know that Jesus wept. We need to be thankful that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, loved us that much to experience things that, as God, are completely absent. In John 4, 7 through 9, we read, A woman... Sorry. John 4, 7 through 9. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we've already recognized what she is acknowledging. Jewish tradition says, what are you doing? You are breaking all of your customs, your traditions that we know very well about. Jesus specifically chose, as we identified at the beginning, to go through Samaria on his way to Galilee. He needed to have this interaction. Jesus always, already has said and will establish that the gospel will go to Jerusalem, be first taught in Jerusalem. It would go through Judea, then to Samaria, the Samaritans, and ultimately to the Gentiles. We see this in Acts 8 being fulfilled. We see the progression in Acts following exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is prepping his disciples and those that are um, the apostles on the realization that this half-breed, if you will, deserves to receive the gospel. I hope that just in our beginning here we see why Jesus, once his disciples return to him, goes into the fact that the harvest is white. Why? 
because they did not look at the Samaritans that the harvest would be there. Do we go through life and make judgments on people by what they, how they dress, where they come from, how they talk, and not recognize what Jesus is establishing here? The harvest is white. Why did he go through Samaria? Because he wants his disciples to see that the traditions that the Jews had established were of man. They were a custom. They had no basis in the law. How do we know that? Because if Jesus is doing this and he's not sinning, then they're wrong. And we know that to be the case. Second, Jesus is engaging a Samaritan woman. Notice her response in verse 9. Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And in verse 27, look at his disciples' response as they come back with food. Verse 27 states, And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, Why do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So not only did Jesus take a route through Samaria that Jews would not take, not only is he talking with the Samaritan, he is talking with a female, a woman. So just how ingrained, and I think we forget in our culture and our time, this perception of Jewish men, Hebrew men and women, and how against the grain Jesus is right now. A uh, Lightfoot, in his commentary, states, A Hebrew man did not talk with women in the street, not even with his mother, sister, daughter, or wife. William Barclay even tells of a segment of the Pharisees, known as bleeding and bruised Pharisees, when they saw a woman approaching, they would close their eyes, hence were running into things constantly. I actually did not know about that until this study. But does that sound too dissimilar of what we know of Pharisees and how they would take something and then create these levels of tradition and ultimately put them above the Word of God? That. I can get there pretty easily. Yet despite all of this, the Son of God was showing the world that this was not a command from Him, from God. Jewish traditions had gone well beyond the basis of Scriptures and the commands that they had been provided. These were the thoughts and opinions of men. And even though men treated them as commandments, Jesus identifies, and pretty strongly here soon, that if it's not from him, it is not in spirit and truth. One additional item that often gets overlooked in verse 8, I think, there are several sources that say that Jews did not eat food that was produced or handled by Samaritans. 
Lightfoot recorded the following uh, item that was taught by Jewish rabbis. Quote, let no Israel eat one mouthful of anything that is a Samaritan's. For if he eat but a little mouthful, he is as if he ate swine's flesh. So not, they weren't supposed to travel through Samaria. They weren't supposed to talk to the Samaritans. They had a demeaning view towards women. And they were not to get any food from the Samaritans by the traditions of men. Jesus is breaking down this entire barrier because he knows upon his death, burial, and resurrection that the gospel was going to go to Samaria and to the Gentiles. This was one effort here in showing that the harvest is white. Think about, even in our own country, the stigmas that have been established and the atrocities of man and man treating each other inferior for all sorts of things. It's not acceptable. And may it never hinder us from seeing the harvest being white. Let's continue. Verses 10 through 12. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Can't help but think of this exchange of words to be what happened in John chapter 3 and that of Nicodemus. And being born again, here we find ourselves with Jesus' teaching. So Jesus is deflecting the cultural war. He's wanting her to see past this non-issue. And he highlights that he is not just some Jew. She recognized he was a Jew, but he wasn't just any Jew. And that there is a gift of God before her to consider the Greek word for gift here is Doria. It's only found here in all four gospel accounts. And it means and signifies a free gift. And Jesus finally mentions that the request is not referring to the well, but living water. And just so many times that we see Jesus interacting with his disciples in Nicodemus and John 3 and in other places, they're not comprehending. They're confused. John 7, 38 tells us in just a few short chapters from here that he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The woman still has not pieced all of this together. I think it is imperative to watch how Jesus handles this situation. He does not get frustrated. He recognizes where she is at. And Jesus will continue to progress the conversation so that she perceives all that he has already told her. He's already laid it out. 
And now over the next several chapters as we move through John 4 verses, sorry, we're going to see him find ways to reiterate it so that she comes to an understanding. Patience is required when we are working with people in sin and with people in the world. We have to understand that it takes time for people to grasp sometimes our message. Many times the person on the other side is having to grapple with false information that they've been told and it's ingrained in their paradigm. It's how they see the world. Let us not become impatient. Let us have the patience expressed by Jesus, not only for this Samaritan woman, but ultimately for his disciples, as we saw in the lesson with the harvest is white. Let's continue verse 13 and 14. We read, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is letting her know that this well that is highly valued by the Samaritans, this is Jacob's well. It has been serving water for thousands of years. It has never run dry. I have my faith in this physical thing that I can touch and I can grasp. But you will always, always be thirsty again from the water it provides. However, if you drink of the living water that Jesus is speaking about, you will not be thirsty again. Because this is spiritual water that is bountiful and issues eternal life. That is salvation. As we go to verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Still working through the challenges of understanding this eternal um, uh, water that has been described for everlasting life. The Samaritan woman um, states she wants the water that is being talked about, the water that I will never thirst from but is confused. But instead of Jesus this time directly answering her question, he enters an exchange that deeply impacts this woman's perception of who she is talking to. Verses 16 and 18. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Jesus, with this interaction, is identifying the groundwork he laid Moments ago in verse 10, let's go back to verse 10. It starts and says, If you knew the gift of God and who says to you, give me a drink. This question is what allows the Samaritan woman to start connecting the dots. She recognizes, as we see in the very next verse, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. She's perceiving something. 
We do not perceive without careful thought about what has occurred. She recognizes that this is just not a Jew. And we see that it is, that she understands something even more. See, the Samaritans are dealing with the first five books of the Old Testament. They did not accept prophets after Moses. So by her saying, I perceive that you're a prophet, that is actually perceiving something here. She's recognizing something that many that we see that Jesus interacts with from the Jewish community isn't comprehending or understanding. We go into verse 20 and 24. Through 24. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. So she pivots the conversation. So it's our third major pivot in this interaction. I'm now going, she's now going to turn to worship. And you Jews say that it is in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. There's a disagreement between the Jews and Samaritans on where worship was. They, they created their own temple. Jews had their temple in Jerusalem. And while the Jews were correct in worshiping Jerusalem, she was missing the bigger point here. First, worship is grounded in truth, not ignorance or emotion or the cafeteria uh, example that Brother Bill Hall just gave us this past weekend. This is relevant today. It isn't about what we think. Instead, it's about what God has commanded. And furthermore, Jesus is coming to break down the divide between the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. And they, this worship, as God has always demanded, must be in spirit and in truth. How many times do we look at Deuteronomy? And the idea of the heart being right for worship. In Malachi, they were doing all the actions the Jews were. And God says, it's not even acceptable to your governor. Close the doors. It's not acceptable to me. We cannot forget how and why we come to worship. And who sets the standard of that worship. As we conclude with the final two verses for our consideration this morning, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. First notice, from the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, she knows that the Messiah is coming. From just Genesis and Exodus, 
we studied not that long ago in our Wednesday night Bible class. Remember how many references there were that the Messiah was coming? There were bundles of references in just the first two books. We did not look at um, Deuteronomy, which had, has even more. And notice what she's now confessing in this statement. She's recognizing, recognizing more truth than we see happening with many of the Jews and even some of his disciples. She's believing and recognizing the promise of the Messiah. The Messiah who had not come but was yet to arrive. The Messiah who would be a person, not a mere ideal concept as alleged by modern day Jews. And the Messiah who would be a teacher, not a conqueror. Jesus responds simply with, I am he. This is Jesus. This man and God is the only person in all of history that will provide mankind with the living water. As we reflect in this purposeful, this intentional interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, I hope we can all grow in our own individual walk with God and the command to be an evangelist. It is my hope as well that our lesson where we went through the detail of recognizing that the harvest is white has a little more meaning because it is just after what we read and we have studied together here this morning that Jesus gives this command that the harvest is white. We must be willing to cast the seed anywhere and everywhere we go. We must be willing to challenge cultural influences that would prevent us from spreading the gospel because we made an assumption. Because it's what we've always heard, what we were always told. Listen, the church is not anemic from this. The church, the Lord's body has made great injustices and ridiculous uh, um, actions towards different people of different nationalities and backgrounds as traditions that are very harmful. May that never be us. Let us be willing to challenge our paradigms so that we remain faithful to God versus to the error that man has spewed. Let us recognize that the harvest is right. The fields are ready. We need to avoid unfruitfulness. We need to recognize that this command is to all and all are involved. We need to avoid judging the soil. Spread and sow the seed. Don't think about or worry about conversion rates. That doesn't matter. That's not for us to be concerned with. The message will be strained to this world. And we need to be bold. Thank you for your kind attention. I hope this has been helpful. I know I learned some things about the Samaritans. And when you go to uh, read the rest of John 4, also go look at Acts 8. 
the message does come to Samaria, the gospel. And they were given, as all mankind have been given, the ability to respond. As we offer the invitation, if there's anyone here that has heard the word, they believe it, they're ready to repent and confess and give their lives to God, be baptized. Now is the time. Whenever that realization comes, do not wait. Do not plan and schedule. Act. And if there are sins that have been committed publicly or if there's needs that you have, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.